Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Hey, morning. Now this week as I was preparing my message, you know, I really felt this like uh, acute sense of like fear and trembling. Uh, and, I, and I really uh, was started to really examine and scrutinize my, my life and my ways. Um, it felt almost like, you know, like, like the, the, the edge of like a surgeon's knife just like cutting away, looking at my inner workings, my motivations, my intentions. Um, and I really hope that, uh, you know, even through this word today, uh, in this time that we have together, that... Uh, for, for, for those of us who need freedom, for those of us who need uh, to encounter the mercy of God, that we would encounter that today. But I, want to tell you, but I want to start by telling you a story. Uh, so how many of you here have done national service, NS? Probably most people, yeah? Wow, okay. That's a very weird, like, hand, uh, Congrats, congrats, M. Uh, yeah, how many of you enjoyed national service? Probably less hands. Oh, wow. Hey, come on, man. Love it. Uh, and do you remember this thing that we had called area cleaning? So this thing where, you know, you need to, like, make your bed, you need to clean the dust, you need to clean the fan, the window, the corner, everything. Then they will, like, find random things to, like, punish you. Um, but it's this thing that you kind of dread, right? And, and, uh, and then they'll give you this timing, okay? So by this timing, I need this area to be clean. And then after that, you're like, oh, okay, let's, let, let's get to it then. Uh, and there's always this one guy in, in this dynamic. So, you know, we'll be cleaning, everybody's like begrudgingly doing it and stuff. And then like out of nowhere, right, like suddenly the sergeant will pop up around the corner, right? And then, yeah, you know, you're just like, oh, whatever lah. But there'll be that one guy, right, who will suddenly like, maybe he was just like lounging around or sitting down and just like lay park a bit, right? Lay park means relax. Um, yeah. And there'll be just, that one guy, he's probably lounging, right? But suddenly, right, when the sergeant comes, right, he just like sprints forward, he like grabs a cloth, he shouts to everyone like, hey guys, somebody clean the windows. And then he like just sprawls and like the drain, like the legs like spread. And then he's just like going ham at it, just going to town and just like cleaning it all for the sergeant to see, right? And what do we call that guy? We call it? Wayang, that's right. <laughs> we know it, right? We all know that guy. Um, now the word uh, wayang refers to like Indonesian puppet theatre, alright, that's, that's where we get like that kind of, that notion, right? Uh, and we use it to describe behaviour that we very kind of instinctively dislike, right? A kind of like putting on a show is disingenuous um, and it's, it's only just done for the sight of others. Interestingly, the Bible uh, has a word that's uh, similar to this, uh, uh, this specific cultural vernacular, uh, which describes the behaviour of an actor. And that word is a hypocrite. Mm. Now the okay. <laughs> Ooh, where's this going, guys? Mm. <laughs> now the root word of hypocrite comes from the Greek word uh, hypocrites, right? Which refers to an actor, a stage play, someone assuming a character, somebody wearing a mask, someone who looks good, looks righteous, uh, but in reality is full of shame and hiddenness. You know, we think of the many like kind of scandals or like church leaders, failures and that kind of stuff that, 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 that come up, right? And you know, to be honest, it's really disheartening, right? Uh, like just the rate <laughs> that we see like these things. Until like sometimes I see a headline there, I'm just like, mm. and that's really sad. <laughs> I mean, it breaks my heart. 
And, I, and I'm sure like, uh, you know, even some of us here have like been really heartbroken by, by like these failings, right? Because we expect something of these people. We expect of these people and leadership as examples of the faith. Uh, we see them as people who look so spiritual, so dignified, uh, so respected, having such powerful ministries. Maybe we even have been super impacted and blessed by their ministries. Uh, but on the inside, some of them have struggled with hidden sin and shame to a breaking point. Having an external righteousness, but being dead with filth and sin on the inside. Friends, today I want to talk to you about hypocrisy, the allure of looking the part, of our desire to look holy and pure in front of others, and how the mercy of our great shepherd, Jesus Christ, sets us free from that. The claim today is that Jesus is better than external righteousness. Mm. Let's pray before we begin, right? Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that just as we sang, God, you have made a way for us. It's nothing but your blood that cleanses us. It's nothing but your blood that makes a way that we can come to you. Lord, we just confess, God, that we are sinners saved by grace. We humble our hearts and we come before you. God, I ask that uh, even as we glean from your word, God, that you will begin to break chains off of our hearts. Lord, you're going to set people free even this morning. We honor you, we love you, God. We just make space for your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now our key uh, passage for today is from Luke 18, uh, and it's out there on the screen. So we're just going to go into God's word this morning, um, and here Jesus is speaking about prayer, right, in the context of the scripture, the, the, the parables on top. He's talking about prayer, he's talking of, and he uses these parables to kind of illustrate the heart posture that we're supposed to have. And so let's go into God's word today from Luke 18, verse 9. And also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, will not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus goes, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. Now, we talk, uh, when we talk about external righteousness and the hypocrisy that, that uh, it comes with, uh, I think we see it most commonly used um, on a specific group in first century Israel, right? Uh, we all know that group that got the most flag from our Lord, uh, calling them hypocrites, a brood of vipers, and it's none other than the Pharisees. That's right. Uh, now, the Pharisees were the most influential of the three major uh, Jewish sects, the other two being the Sadducees and the Essenes. Um, and we often, and, uh, and you know, we, we hear about the Pharisees, we read about the Pharisees, uh, we often disassociate with them because we kind of think like, you know, they're just these like, legalistic, archaic, kind of monolithic, kind of like, this is religion, legalism, like, I'm free from that, right? 
uh, it can't be me, right? I mean, like, my denomination is independent. <laughs> it would interest us uh, to note that in that time and in that context, right, uh, in contrast to the Sadducees, the Pharisees, uh, you know, they believed in resurrection, the existence of angels and demons, predestination as well as free will, uh, and the validity of both the written and the oral law. And so they were pretty cutting edge in that time. Right? Politically, they were more conservative than the Sadducees, uh, but religiously, they were more liberal due to their acceptance of the oral law. So if I kind of think of that in like our modern-day context, right, maybe there will be that cutting-edge church. Right? Right? The one that, you know, when you're like, looking at churches, you're like, mm, this one is like, not too spirit, not too word, right down the middle. No? Okay. <laughs> and they're like, just killing it right down the middle. I right? have all the right answers, have all the right positions, perfectly balanced, love it. And yet again, it was to this bunch that Jesus gave his most harsh, most direct, and most intense rebukes. I want to read another scripture that's in uh, Matthew 23. And, and this is the kind of rebukes that Jesus gives to the Pharisees. Now he uses kind of imageries, right? And he, he, like, he, he berates them almost, right? He goes and repeats it a couple of times with these imageries to draw out this kind of idea of external righteousness and inner decay. And we read uh, in Matthew 23, verse 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. He says again, Woe to you! You cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Right? The outside is clean. The outside looks good, looks pure but inside is full of hypocrisy, full of shame. It says again, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. See, Jesus' biggest issue with the Pharisees was that of external righteousness that they would outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside be full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That the practices and forms that they adhered to, that they enforced on people, they were meant to bring life, to bring connection with God, rather brought separation. They had become ends in and of themselves. And in doing so, they boasted a clean exterior while reeking of death and apathy within. That is a Pharisee. And I want to give... Uh, even as we go back to our, our earlier passage right, in Luke 18, uh, from that passage, there are three symptoms of what uh, the kind of heart of a Pharisee looks like. Right? Kind of like a heart check, because we need to pay attention to these guys. You know, you know, Jesus, when he rebukes other things, or even like you know, the woman caught in adultery, he's, he's merciful, he's gentle, but when it comes to the Pharisees, he goes hard on them. Man. And we can't disassociate and just go, yeah, that's probably not me. We have to listen in. We have to hear what we can glean from it, what God is warning us and cautioning our hearts of. So he says uh, in verse 9, right? Uh, I just have three symptoms for this. He says in verse 9, he spoke to this parable uh, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So the first symptom that we see from here is uh, in that line, right? That they trusted in themselves, and that's of pride. Pride says, I don't need anyone, I don't need help. I don't need a second opinion. <clears throat> I don't need another perspective. I'm good. I got it. I'm okay. 
the word uh, trusted used in, in, in this text is the word persuaded. Have you ever like, had a conversation with someone who was already like, persuaded of their viewpoint of where they stand on something? You, know, you talk to them, you talk to them, and you can see their mouth kind of moving, right? Because they just can't wait to jump back in. Like, nothing you say is going in. They're like, I just want to get my point across. It's pride. And aren't we guilty of that sometimes? The doors are shut. Don't tell me anything different from what I already think. Pride. The second symptom of, uh, of the heart of a Pharisee is self-righteousness. Uh, we read in that, in that line that they trusted themselves that they were, they trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Believing that your ideas and behavior are morally better than those of other people. See, this Pharisee felt that, that we read in the passage, he felt that he had no need for God. When we read uh, later on in, in verse 11, he says he stood to pray, right? Uh, and, and this was customary of a Pharisee. Like every day they were to stand and pray and they were to give thanks for God. That they were born into a certain class, that, that you know, uh, they were to give thanks. And he did that, but it's interesting to see how quickly his prayer kind of turned inward. Almost as if God should be thanking him. Verse 12, he says, I fast twice a week, eh? I tithe all of my possessions. And that's, that was a boast because uh, in, in that culture, right, you know, the, the Israelites were supposed to tithe their income. But this guy went above and beyond, right? He didn't just tithe his income, he tithed all of his possessions, anything that he got, 10%. And he gloried in that fact. He brought it to God. I tithe all of my possessions. So proud of it. His righteousness, his standing before God, his, his right standing before God was clearly not founded on anything else but his own sense of moral achievement. And the third symptom uh, of a Pharisee is this, judgment, or being judgmental. Now the last part of that verse says, uh, so you know, he, they trusted themselves that they were righteous and they despised others. Uh, another translation says that they looked down upon others. See, when we are prideful and self-righteous, it bleeds out to the very way that we view others. Instead of recognizing that we are all broken and in dire need of mercy, it becomes comparative. The Pharisee says this to God, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I thank you that I'm not like these other guys. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. Now, one, one commentary that I read was interesting says that uh, the word this tax collector uh, as having like a derogatory tone. It's the same this as used when, you know, we read the parable of the prodigal son, right? And the older brother says to his father, oh, this son of yours has returned. That kind of judgment, that contempt almost. And the Pharisee is, is, is like that, right? When he sees someone who, who, who he judges as being less moral, this tax collector, this guy. And I wonder how often our hearts do that. Maybe not out loud. Maybe we don't say it to people. Maybe we say behind their back. Maybe we say in our hearts when we see people and they don't look uh, the way we think someone's supposed to look when they walk into church, right? And you go, this guy, really? These are the symptoms of the heart of a Pharisee. One fixed on external righteousness but neglecting the heart within. Someone with a heart like that would say things like, if I was in his shoes, uh, I would just choose differently. Eh? I would just do things differently. He's probably just there because of his poor life choices. Uh, when asked on the streets for money, someone would say, you know, I never got taken advantage of. I saw through their schemes. I developed really shrewd counter-questions that would expose them so that I hardly had to give anything. This heart would undoubtedly prefer to win 
an argument with someone on the internet rather than to sit with someone and to sympathize and empathize with their suffering and their experience. This is the heart that Jesus rebukes. Heavy, I'm sorry. <laughs> we good? <laughs> but how do we get here? How do we kind of come into this place where we, we have a heart like that, you know? Um, and I don't think someone uh, just wakes up and goes like, you know, I really aspire to be a Pharisee. I don't think, you know, when we think of the Bible and we like, who we want to aspire to be, we're like, hmm, woe to you, woe, that's me. And then I'm like, oh, I should be a Pharisee, right? I don't think we go like, my baptism name will be Caiaphas, the high priest of the Sanhedrin. <laughs> Jonathan Edwards says this about uh, self-righteousness, right? He says, the, the deceitfulness of the heart of man appears in no one thing so much as this of spiritual pride and self-righteousness. C.S. Lewis, my man, says, all the worst pleasures are purely spiritual. The pleasure of putting other people in the wrong, of bossing and patronizing and spoiling sport and backbiting. The pleasures of power, of hatred. A cold, self-righteous prick who goes regularly to church may be far nearer to hell than a prostitute. Now the word prick means... Uh, <laughs> It means a righteous person, right? So he was literally saying like, a self-righteous, self-righteous person. I think it was clever wordplay, but that's my opinion. <clears throat> See, this problem of the allure of external righteousness to cover up our brokenness is one of the human condition. It can be traced back all the way to Genesis, right? In our creation account. In Genesis 3, after the fall of man, where man's eyes are open to his sin, <clears throat> his nakedness, his shame, his first response, and it says in verse 10, is uh, to hide, to make things, to cover myself up, protect my shame and my nakedness, my vulnerability. It says in verse 10, uh, after they hid from God, I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid myself. I was afraid, and so I hid. Man's first response to sin was to hide and to cover it up. And so maybe when you got first when you first got saved, it looked like this, right? It was thrilling. It was wonderful. You know, you could declare, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I've received the good news. You know, every week I can come and I can cry at the altar. I don't care what people think. I can come raw. I can come vulnerable. I can come broken to the feet of Jesus. But maybe after a while, week after week, you realize, hey, I'm still struggling with sin. I'm still struggling to give. I still get really angry and jealous and insecure and I don't know what to do with this. I can't cure my heart. But I know what I can do. I know what looks the part. I know, I can, I know when to lift my hands. I know when to exclaim. I know when to say an amen, preach it, come on, hallelujah. Maybe I can fake it till I make it. And slowly but surely, you, know, you start to feel this kind of separation within you where there's that part that's hurting and broken and messy, and there's the other part on the outside that's, that's okay. You know, when people ask you, hey, how are you? I'm okay. Nothing more. Nothing more to say here. And the more this progresses, you start to feel a little bit numb, right? This duality just expands. And suddenly, even if you wanted to reach that inner man within, the one that's honest, the one that's broken, you don't even know if you can. 
You start to not even know what you feel. But what you do know is this. You know that you're afraid. You know that you're afraid that what's inside is going to be seen. It's going to be detected. It's going to be put out in the open. Suddenly, it doesn't even matter if I, you know, if I haven't spent time with God in a week, in a month, in months. I can still do things. I can still lead worship. I can still put on a show. I can still impress. All the while, riddled with dysfunction, trapped in repetitive sin, surrounded by brokenness and pain. <clears throat> Carl Jung, who's a psychologist, who was a son to a pastor and an occultist, and at one point, the, uh, the heir of Sigmund Freud's research. So all to say, he's a very interesting man. <laughs> when speaking to a group of clergy, he, he said this, and it's a long quote, but uh, I, I really think it's, it's beautiful. Um, so just check with me on this, right? He says, that I feed the beggar, that I forgive and insult, that I love my enemy in the name of Christ. All these are undoubtedly great virtues. What I do unto the least of my brethren, that I do unto Christ. But what if I should discover that the least amongst them all, the poorest of all beggars, the most impudent of all offenders, yea, the very fiend himself, that these are within me, and that I myself stand in need of the arms of my own kindness, that I myself am the enemy that must be loved. What then? Then as a rule, the whole truth of Christianity is reversed. There is then no more talk now of love and long-suffering. We say to the brother within us, Raka, and condemn and rage against ourselves. We hide him from the world. We deny ever having met this least among the lowly in ourselves. And had it been God himself who drew near to us in this despicable form, we should have denied him a thousand times before a single cock had crowed. Now I think of this and I, and I think of my, my, my own experience, right? Uh, I've been doing church for a long time, since I was 13. I've, I've worked uh, in ministry for the last couple of years. Uh, and a few years ago, I was in this season, where, which was just a season full of pain um, uh, from well, kind of all sides. And I was deconstructing a lot of my faith, really. Uh, and, and I felt like you know, the, the rug had been kind of pulled from under my feet. I felt like, oh man, I don't even know if God's real, right? And I had all these like, sources of pain in my life, sin, uh, just a lot of discouragement. Um, and, 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 and inside, I just felt dead, right? Uh, I felt dead. I didn't feel like myself. I, I, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't see any hope. I didn't kind of know how to get out of it, right? But I would still play the part. I would pray. Uh, I realized I would pray only at prayer meetings. Uh, I would read the word to prepare for a message. Uh, the only time I pray in tongues will be when I have to pray for someone. Then you know you kind of need to rev the engine a bit. <laughs> like, come on, Lord, anytime now. Give me a word. I was having a dead spiritual life, trapped in sin, broke, uh, experiencing brokenness in relationships, and all the while putting on a show. And that was unbearable, man. That kind of separation, that kind of duality. It really feels like I'm wearing a mask. Uh, see, it's an intensely painful and exhausting thing to put up the show of external righteousness. The mask of hypocrisy is a heavy one. And so we are led to ask this question, <clears throat> right? Is there a better way? 
I believe Jesus in this text uh, show us how we can truly heal ourselves from this condition of the heart. We read in verse 13, it says, And the tax collector, standing afar off, will not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Let's take a sip of water. <laughs> Dwell on the word of the Lord. Mm. Dry mid, <laughs> no mouth. <laughs> Couldn't raise his eyes to heaven, beat his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And you can almost feel his heart, right, in this sentence. It's heartbreaking, right? He stands afar off, well acquainted with this sense of unworthiness, unable to look up at God. Contrary to how Jesus would usually pray, right? Looking up to the Father. Like, you know, when you have offended someone, you can't bear to look them in the eye. But he comes as he is, beating his breast in grief, a posture of humility, and he meets the arms of the shepherd, of the true doctor who came not for the healthy, but for the sick. Friends, Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the one that leaves the 99 for the one. He can fix you and I beyond the surface. That's the hope that we have. The facade of external righteousness hides a broken heart in need and in dire need of God's mercy. In the final verse of the parable, Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This man in that posture, in that lowliness of heart, in that brokenness, in that humility, right? Leaves justified, propitiated, in right standing, right relationship with God. We contrast that to the Pharisee, right? Reveling in his external righteousness, in his religious performance, but leaving still with a gaping wound in his relationship with God. Well, the man who comes in humility, who comes seeking God's mercy, leaves healed. Friends, we need the mercy of God to overcome the Pharisee in our hearts. And shouldn't we as a church be a place where we can come freely and receive this? We can come in our brokenness, laying aside our facades and receive healing. Uh, in his book, um, which accounts the death of a group of monks ministering to a Muslim community, uh, John Kissa writes this. Uh, and it kind of gives a beautiful picture of what church can be. He says a monk is simply a sinner who joins a community of sinners who are confident in God's mercy and who strive to recognize their weaknesses in the presence of their brothers. It's beautiful. Harry Nowen writes this on the church. A Christian community is therefore a healing community, not because wounds are cured and pains are alleviated, but because wounds and pains become openings or occasions for new vision. Mutual confession then becomes a mutual deepening of hope. A sharing of witness, weaknesses becomes a reminder to one and all of the coming strength, of the coming redemption, of the coming hope. Of all the places that one could go, surely the church is meant to be a hospital for the broken. One that serves, uh, I love how Pope Francis describes the church. He says it's like a field hospital, right? You know, a hospital for like uh, casualties uh, when you go to war, right? and a few hospital targets and goes to those that are most wounded among us. 
Now I'm landing the plane soon, but uh, I want to walk us through three things that we can do to resist external righteousness and walk in this mercy of God, the mercy of Jesus. The first thing that we can do is that we can practice confession. Hmm. <clears throat> now I know we have multiple ideas of what confession is and we may uh, have certain baggage around it. Uh, but let's look to God's word. It says uh, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 to 9, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James 5, verse 16 says, sorry, Confess your trespasses to one another or your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now we have to understand that confession is so much more than just settling a score. It's not just like, okay, let me dial this one in so that my score sheet is clean once again. Right, so much more than that. Confession is a gift, a gift that brings healing. Uh, Pope Francis in his book, The Name of God is Mercy, he says this on our understanding of sin, right? He says, some believe that sin is a stain, only a stain, something that you can have dry clean so that everything goes back to normal. The way you take a jacket or dress to have a stain removed, you put it in the wash, and that's it. But sin is more than a stain. Sin is a wound. It needs to be treated. It needs to be healed. Right? Sin is ultimately when we, we choose something uh, above God, when we choose something out of God's design. And how many of you know that? You know, when we choose things out of God's designs, when we, when we act out of God's design, it brings hurt. It brings brokenness. It wounds ourselves. It wounds our relationship with one another. It wounds our relationship with the world. Practice confession. Find somebody who's mature, a trusted person. Could be a leader, could be a, a life group member, someone you really trust, um, a group of friends even. Meet regularly. Share about your struggles. Not just what you did, do that, but why you did it, the needs that are unmet in your life, the kind of deepest desires that you have. Right? Sin is just us, you know, in our deepest desires, kind of just choosing something that when we don't trust God, when we think He doesn't have what's best for us. And we need people to walk alongside us to kind of journey through that process, remind us that, hey, God is trustworthy in the area of need, in the area of like God can be trusted. It's so much more than just settling a score. Be seen, be known in your brokenness, in the most honest, authentic parts of your struggles, be known. I think our souls are kind of parched for that. Confessing, uh, Pope Francis again, hmm, <laughs> says, confessing is a way of putting my life into the hands and heart of someone else, someone who in that moment acts in the name of Jesus. It's a way to be real and authentic. He said confession is a gift where we get to act in persona Christi, right, in the person of Christ, to extend and receive mercy for each other. Amen. Next way that we can uh, resist external righteousness is uh, walk with younger believers. Right, oftentimes, we, you know, we kind of grow really used to the church experience, right? We've, we do it, we've been doing it for a while. We can lead. We, can, we, we know the drill. We know the scriptures. We know all these things, right? Uh, and I think this message of the gospel, this message of grace, this message of mercy and forgiveness can kind of become stale to us. We think, like, you know, I'm pretty mature. I, I, I know what's going on. You know, cut out some time and walk with someone who's younger, right? See how their eyes kind of light up when they realize, wow, God has forgiven me. 
by the mercy of God, I've been set free. Recapture that kind of wonder in your heart again. Walk with them even in their brokenness. Feel the mercy of God for them. Henry Nowen says this, making one's own wounds a source of healing, uh, therefore does not call for a sharing of superficial personal pains, but for a constant willingness to see one's own pain and suffering as rising from the depths of the human condition that all men share. As we hear, as, as we counsel people, as, as we hear of their brokenness, we realize that, hey, I'm broken in the same way. I need that mercy too. I need that grace. You know, doing youth ministry has afforded me many opportunities to do this. Because, <laughs> you know, you'll get a call. And they're like, okay, la, let's go. <laughs> um, and I think of uh, a couple of people. I, I, I mean, I think of like, some people that I walk with, some uh, younger people that I've been journeying with. Uh, and, I'm, and, I, and I remember like, instances where I would sit with them. We'd be talking about their struggles. They talk about, like, uh, I remember this one, uh, this, this one guy, and I was just talking with him. He was talking to me about his, his sexual brokenness, right? And the shame, the guilt, the, the brokenness that is brought to him. And I was so heartbroken. And I was sitting across him and, 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 and just experiencing the mercy of God, just feeling the, the heart of the shepherd for his flock. And all I want to tell him is like, hey, there's hope, man. Like Jesus sees you differently. Like God looks at you through the eyes of mercy. God forgives you. He can cleanse you. He can make you whole again. Like there's, there's, you, know, you can be confident there's hope here. I think of another uh, young person, and, and, and this guy, he, he used to come to uh, our group. He stopped like a couple of years ago, but every now and then he would like text me, he asked me for money. <laughs> he would like ask me like, and he would chill me out, right? At like the most random times, it's like 10 o'clock or 11 or what, then I'm in bed, then he texts me and like, hey, brother. <laughs> then like, no choice, right? <laughs> uh, but I would meet him up, I would like, have these like sporadic meetings with him, I will sit with him, he would smoke, we would just sit in silence. <laughs> uh, and, and there was like so much brokenness, right? And, and, and you know, after a while, you know, he kind of like, kind of like, uh, I mean, we don't talk that, that often, right? Then one day, he, he kind of texts me and he goes like, Hey, Tim, uh, can you meet? Uh, I, I won't be able to see you very soon already. Then I was like, why? <laughs> I was like, That's a very weird thing. That's a very weird proposition. <laughs> um, so I, I spoke to him a bit more. La. Then I found out that he, uh, he was in some bad company. He was uh, pushing drugs. And he turned himself in. So he had like a week or two before he had to go in. Mm. And, and so he was like, yeah, uh, hey, like, can you meet me? Can you like, spend some time with me? So I did. Uh, mostly I didn't exactly know what I could offer or to, to do. I sat with him. I just spent time with him. He told me like, well, when I come out, right, I think like, you know, you how old, you got kids, maybe grandkids, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, and I remember like, so, you know, we, we spent some time together. I met him a couple of times. And there was this one time I met him. Uh, and I think that was like, I think that was like the last time that I would kind of see him. La. And he, I was taking a train with him. So I was taking a train with him. Uh, we were on the train, we were just talking about, about these things. Uh, and then he looked at me for a moment and then, and, then, and then he just said like, I don't know how I ended up here. Hmm. And then he just asked me like, pardon the, he said like, why am I so effed up? <laughs> like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Uh, and he's just, and he's just like, 
look like the gangster, like, you know, a bit piercing, then like everything wear like <laughs> you know, looking tough and all right. But on the train I was like standing with him, he's just crying. And, like, why am I so messed up? What's wrong with me? And at the moment I I I, I mean my heart was broken, man, but I could only feel like the mercy of God for him. Like, dude, you're not eh. You know, like you, you you've made pretty you know, some bad decisions. You know, maybe you made like one bad decision and then you thought of yourself like, hey, maybe I'm beyond salvation. And then it just kind of spiraled. And that cycle of bad decisions just, just kept spiraling down. But you're not. Yeah, I walk with people who are younger, less mature. Like recapture a vision of God's mercy. Avail yourself, avail your heart for that. Right? If you feel like your heart, you know, it, it, like when, you, when, you, when you think of people, when you think of things, maybe you feel like, maybe I'm a bit, I don't feel much, right? Maybe a bit, I feel a bit judgmental. Or I, just, I just don't feel that, right? Um, avail yourself. Avail yourself and capture that. Um, third thing we can do is to be close to the loss. Uh, leave your echo chamber. Pursue people with opposing perspectives. And I would even say opposing lifestyles. Ones that you don't agree with. Ones that you're offended by. Ones that you would rather go stay away from me. That's gross. I want nothing to do with you. Spend time with people. It's one thing to, you know, win an argument, a theoretical argument of what's right and wrong on the internet and stuff like that. But doesn't that just dehumanize people? It's another thing to sit with someone, to hear their story, humanize them, dignify them. I think the way that Jesus would, the Pharisees would describe him as the, work, the guy that sat and ate with sinners. Like an insult, like, you know, what's wrong with this guy? But I think Jesus knows what's up, man. I think he calls us to do the same. Allow your self-righteousness to fall off as you do that. Experience the mercy of God for your brothers and sisters. I'm reminded of, uh, recently I, I had a coffee with this, um, I had coffee with this pastor who um, uh, pastors a church uh, and the church is kind of uh, known for a certain moral stance or something, which I think um, a lot of mainline churches will probably disagree with. Mm. But I, you know, I wanted to learn and I wanted to kind of uh, bridge that gap, right? So I, I visited his church and after I, I uh, organized like a coffee and I sat down with him. Um, they were talking and talking and talking uh, and and you know, my, my, my stance on moral issues and stuff didn't change. We still have, this, we still have differing uh, views on moral theology, right? But it wasn't a point, right? When I sat with him, I just spoke with him, I realized, hey, actually he's a lot more open than I thought he was. Like, hey, uh, hey, you know, like, maybe I've demonized this person a little bit too much. I made him an adversary, right? I sat with him and I spoke with him. We sat for like two hours, we were just like conversing, uh, talk about church, talk about how to minister to God's people. I realized, you know, we are just like two guys, you know, trying to live in the way of Jesus, trying to follow Jesus earnestly, uh, trying to help people do that. And so, you know, do these things, right? Be close to the lost, be close to people who are different from you, who, whose behavior even you're offended by. Let like the mercy of God just capture your heart once more. Amen?
In closing, um, you know, we may have to be aware of our inclination to protect ourselves with external righteousness, the symptoms of which are pride, self-righteousness, and being judgmental. We have to check our hearts that way. We must remember that we need the mercy of God to overcome the Pharisee in our hearts. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, in His tender mercies and His loving kindness, is better than any way that external righteousness can help us to hide. Can we stand? sometimes we, we, we can't extend mercy to, towards ourselves, right? Or others, because we, we have not encountered the mercy of God. Um, a couple of years ago, I was in London, just hanging out. And I, and I visited this museum called the Victoria and Albert Museum. Uh, and I don't know what kind of art you like. I'm like, I don't like the modern, modern stuff that's like, it's just all very black and depressing. <laughs> I like those, like, you know, the old church kind of stuff, the artifacts, the paintings, and things like that. Um, and so I was walking around a certain section, and I came across this, uh, this statue, right? This sculpture. Uh, it's called the Dead Christ. Uh, and I think I have the photo. Yeah. It's called the Dead Christ. Um, it's a wooden carving. Uh, the artist is unknown. It's from Tuscany. Um, and as I... I was just looking at it. I was gazing at it. Suddenly, I was just overwhelmed by this sensation. I was overwhelmed by the beauty of Jesus. As I was looking at the sculpture, and I remember looking at, at, at the face, right? And it's kind of like downturned to the side. And looking at like this kind of sorrow, the loneliness that Jesus felt on the cross. The brokenness that my Savior had to endure for my sake. As I was looking at, at, at that, at that statue, I began to cry and cry and cry. And I think I spent like close to an hour there. I was just looking and, and in the moment, like, you know, God was just encountering me. He was just showing me his beauty, showing me his mercy. Uh, and I looked back at that and I realized like, wow, you know, I, was, I wasn't even at church, right? I was at this place and, and I felt this invitation of God's mercy. Today, I feel that God wants to invite some of us to encounter his mercy. And there are a couple of people that uh, I think God wants to meet. Some of us, when we, when we you know, listen to this talk, we, we, we hear that, right, of that, like, oh, I'm so afraid people will find out how broken I am within. I'm so afraid that people will find out how shameful I am, how much filth there is within me. I feel like I am the least of all sinners. I feel irredeemable, resigned to this kind of brokenness, maybe habitual sin, maybe kind of soul-crushing cycles and patterns. Maybe you, uh, you know, in an effort to kind of heal yourself, you know, you're like, you've gotten really religious, right? I put, uh, and, and I felt this even in worship. And some of us, maybe we have, have just put in uh, an inane amount of effort to follow the law, an inane amount of effort to get it right, right? And you're, and you're constantly beating yourself up. You're constantly going like, ah, man, I thought this, I said this, I did this. Man, I'm so messed up. 
discouraged, shameful. And then there's a the last group of us that maybe don't really feel much. Don't really feel much for the broken or, you know, I feel my heart is just this, it feels numb. I don't know why I feel most of this. It's just this numb kind of monolith inside which I, I just can't connect with. Uh, I feel like God wants to meet us today in His mercy. So today, you know, let's not be like the Pharisee. Don't put on a show, don't offer lip service. Don't leave here still with a wound in your relationship with God. Get it out in the open. Get ugly, get desperate. Be like the tax collector, right? Beat your chest in grief. Come in humility. Beg for mercy. If that's you, I, I really uh, just encourage you to respond to God even in this moment. And we're going to take some time and really tarry. We're going to take some time to bring our hearts, bring all that's within us before God and allow the, the caresses of His love to heal us. Let's worship. <laughs>